You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. After where we've been in the last several chapters in the book of Exodus, this chapter might come as a bit of a surprise. That you think about it, you know, up till this point, Yahweh has been very consistently and convincingly delivering his people with like miraculous power. Okay, you start with delivery from slavery, you know, in the Exodus with the plagues. Uh, you know, the Passover, salvation from judgment. They cross the Red Sea, you know, on dry land. God moves the sea apart. You have in the wilderness, bread is coming from heaven and water is coming out of rocks. And each of these episodes has a very obvious point that the Israelites and those around them would know that Yahweh is the Lord. But we come to Exodus 18, and you might scan over the chapter heading here, and you see Jethro's advice or Jethro's visit. And it's like, really? You know, all of those things that we've seen, and now we've just got some guy is visiting. I mean, it just seems, it's just, you know, a simple family reunion after such astounding events that we've seen up to this point. And it just seems ordinary and, and commonplace. It's practical. It's normal. And I think that's exactly the point. So as we've noted before in this series, the story of Exodus is a paradigm by which Christians, by which we ourselves can understand our own salvation. And in this chapter, we're going to see how normal everyday relationships are impacted, are transformed, are changed by the grace of God, by the saving grace of God, and by the good news of what he's done. And my hope is that this is very applicable to us this morning, very practical. Um, so we're going to look in Exodus 18. We're going to review Moses and Jethro's interactions. And we're going to learn from two very different people. But we're going to see how practically our lives look different after we experience God's grace. So we've got three points today. We're going to walk through three of the hardest but most, most necessary things that we can do in any relationship. The three, three of the hardest things but the most necessary things that we can do in any relationship. First is tell the whole story of God's rescue. Number two is take a risk and offer good advice. And three, happily receive feedback in humility. So we're going to walk through each of those, but let's pray before we dig in. Father, we ask that you would give us soft hearts to hear and apply your word to our lives this morning. Father, I ask that you would help me and that you would help us as we see how your grace changes our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you got a Bible, crack that open or open the app, and let's go to Exodus 18. We're going to start at the beginning of Exodus 18 on our first point here. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to see Moses and the Israelites have made their way from Rephidim towards Sinai, which is the mountain of God. But, but see here that Jethro has he's heard something amazing from Moses' family, from his wife and his kids, and he's coming in for a visit. That's what we see in verses 1 to 6. We're going to double-click, and we're going to zoom in on verses 7 and 8. So let's look there. It says, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law 
all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So after greeting Jethro, asking him how he's doing, asking him how the flocks are, how the tribe is, shooting the breeze a little bit, Moses launches directly into this incredible story of deliverance. He doesn't doesn't spare any details. He hits every high point, right? Every supernatural punch that the warrior god Yahweh lands on the Egyptians in order to save his people. But he doesn't stop there. It's interesting. He, He also explains all of the hardship that had come along them, that had come along in the way, you know, along the journey afterwards. He explains the bumps and the bruises, the winding roads, the constant whimpering of the people. He explains both the incredible deliverance and the real world reality of what life looks like after God brings them out of slavery. But he emphasizes through the whole thing how the Lord is the one that delivered them. He tells the whole story of God's rescue. And what's, don't miss Jethro's response to this. This is what is really interesting. He exhibits three things. He exhibits joy, praise, and faith. If you look at verse nine, it says, he rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. He was overjoyed. Next in verse 10, he praises Yahweh. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you. And finally, he shows his faith He shows it in both word and action. Verse 11, now I know. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. And verse 12, as he brings a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. So because of all these elements that are are present here, after hearing the story, joy, praise, faith, I think that Jethro is one of the first examples in the Bible of a converted outsider. Like, this is a man who has put his faith in the true God after hearing the good news of deliverance. And it, it seems that Moses and Aaron agree with this perspective because we can see later in verse 12 that they come with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So they have a, a communion meal, in a sense, in the presence of the Lord, and they welcome Jethro in. And so I think this is where we can connect Exodus 18 to sharing the gospel. So if you're a Christian in this room, an application point for us is that we too are to tell the whole story of God's rescue in our lives. You know, we, we tell of the situation that we were in before Christ. You know, when, when we were in bondage, in slavery to sin and to ourselves, spinning our wheels, trying to make bricks without straw, not finding any real lasting satisfaction. But then we tell of the, the great news that Jesus came for us. He came for us and he died in our place to deliver us. And he was raised that we might be forgiven, that we might be seen as perfect in the eyes of of the Father, and we, we also tell that Jesus came back to life. He didn't stay dead, he came back to life and he promises to bring us with him in the life to come. But just as Moses did with Jethro, we can and we should also speak of the hardships. You know, it's, it's not all roses and butterflies 
immediately once you become a believer. You know, Christianity is not a get, you know, healthier, wealthier, and wiser, quick fix program. I mean, you guys know this, right? Jesus said that his followers would be hated for his sake. And so we should expect some rejection. You know, he, he promised that in this world, you'll have trouble. But God also promises to work all things, the highs and the hardships, together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But here's the thing. You know, in the, in the busy and hurried, crazy modern world in which we live, you might not always have the opportunity to have like a 45-minute monologue, you know, without the context of a relationship, right? To tell the whole story. And so then what do we do? I mean, you got to remember here that Moses, he lived with Jethro or near him for like 40 years prior to this event. So he's got a little history with this guy. He's got a relationship built up. And so, yes, we should tell the whole story. But sometimes the whole story, it takes time. And you don't have to necessarily feel the need to get it all out in just one shot. But we do need to speak. We do need to tell the story, right? I mean, it's been said that it, most ministry happens when ordinary people are doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And then we watch as God, he gives the growth. But it's so hard, right? I mean, it's hard. I mean, why is that? And I think it's because we have a deeper issue than not just knowing how to share the gospel or the right tips or tricks or we don't have all the right opportunities. It, it, the problem is our allegiances at, at the core, our allegiances are divided and, and we don't even know it. You know, we, we worship the approval of other people. What do they think of me? I mean, am I the only one? I mean, we, we seek the safety of what others think of us so often. I mean, think about it. The last time you could have shared your faith with someone, why didn't you? Did you feel that creeping, awkward sensation right before you're about to open your mouth? The uncertainty that they maybe weren't going to like what you had to say? The knowledge that they might think that you're strange or judgmental or something worse? I mean, do you remember when you, when you cowered back, afraid to lose that easy approval that you had worked so hard to gain? I mean, I, know, I, I certainly know that, that I remember many of those moments. And, but listen, listen, I mean, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that the fear of man, it lays a snare. But the one who trusts in the Lord is safe. So the approval of other people, it might seem safe, but it's a trap. It has no bottom. It has no foundation. People are fickle. They can change their mind like that. Jesus is the one who is coming to judge the living and the dead. You know, he's the, the lion of Judah. He's the rider on the white horse. He's the his approval is the only one that really matters, right? I mean, if, if you go into a room and there's a bunch of kittens running around and then there's a resurrected lion, which one should we be afraid of? 
Which one's approval really matters? So let's recommit to telling the whole story of God's rescue that culminates in Christ throughout the myriads of relationships that are scattered throughout our lives. And let's watch as the Lord works. One last thing to mention before we move on. So perhaps that you've been you know, reminded of a particular relationship or conversation in which you didn't tell the whole story. You didn't tell any of the story, maybe. And, and maybe you're feeling a sense of kind of holy conviction or guilt. And that's, that's good. That's fine. But I do want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you by calling attention to the last time that Moses and Jethro interacted. At least that's recorded. And it was, it was back in Exodus 4. And you guys, you guys remember the burning bush, right? So the burning bush happens. God speaks audibly to Moses, and he, he gives him the rescue plan. He tells, go, tells him, go to Pharaoh and, and tell him to let my people go, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring them out. And, and then Moses, he needs to go back to Jethro, who's his boss, right? He's, like, keeping his flocks. So he needs to go ask his shepherd boss for some PTO. He's got to ask him for some time off, Right? And so it's really interesting in this moment because maybe Moses felt kind of awkward because he was the only one there with the bush, right? Nobody else audibly heard the voice of God. And Moses didn't have the best response, if you remember. I mean, he did a lot of arguing and a lot of equivocations with God. He didn't really want to do it. So he might have felt awkward. Well, we can see what what Moses did in in that moment. It looks a little bit sheepish. When he goes to Jethro, he says, hey, um, I need to go back to Egypt just to check to see if my brothers are still alive. That's all he says. He didn't mention God. He doesn't mention a bush. He didn't mention any of it. He left out the most important part. And so it's not surprising what happens to Jethro. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. They part with a simple go in peace. And so I'm really encouraged now, 14 chapters later, to see, one, how the Lord grows and matures Moses throughout the months ahead, right? As he shows him his glory, Moses is now different, okay? He's, he's different than he was back then. And two, I'm, it's just amazing. God graciously gives Moses a second chance. He gives him another chance to tell Jethro, his father-in-law, all that the Lord has done and has been doing. And, and he can do the same thing with us. So let's, let's take those second chances that God will give us and watch what he does. So with that, we're going to move on to our second point here. Um, we're going to see how Jethro takes a risk and offers good advice. So second point here, take a risk, offer good advice. We're going to look at verses 13 to 23 here. And here we're going to focus on how Jethro approaches his advice And we're going to look at the content or the substance of his advice in our next point. So we're going to look at how he approaches giving this advice. So we're going to start in verse 14. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So we're going to look at four things that Jethro does as he gives advice to Moses. They're quick. They all start with the letter A. We like alliteration. So um, the first one is attend. 
So Jethro attends to Moses. He gives Moses his attention. Before jumping in, he's, he, he probably had some thoughts right away, right? But he, he waits. He watches. It says, Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing. He observes. He watches. He listens, and he listens the whole day. From morning until evening, he watches the whole thing unfold. He, he waits to understand as much as he can about the situation. So first, he attends. Secondly, he asks. So rather than, again, assuming what Moses is trying to do, rather than assuming his objective or his intentions, he asks him. He shows him respect. He, he gives him a chance um, to reply. And he, he asks him, what would you say you do here? You guys know office space? What, I mean, what, what, are you, what are you doing? What's going on? What, what are you doing here? Um, it, and then third, so after attending, asking, third, he affirms. So I think this is really cool. I mean, he, he lets Moses respond, and then he picks out the good in what Moses is doing. And he tells him some things to continue doing. He says, hey, this is good. You know, if you look down at, at verse 19, you know, he tells him several things to, to keep doing. So he tells him, hey, keep representing the people before God. That's a good thing. Keep bringing their cases to him. Keep focusing your time on teaching the people the way that they must walk and what they must do as the people of God. Keep doing these things. So he does all three of those before actually giving advice. I think this is, this is a really interesting lesson for us as you think about you know, giving advice to people, giving feedback to people, um, that there, this is a great process here that we can learn from. So number four, then he advises. Then he, then he gives Moses the goods, as it, as it were. So you see in, in verses 21 and 22, hey, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. You know, the great matters they'll bring to you, but they can decide the small matters. This is the crux of his advice. So because the responsibility of leadership is, is way too much for just one guy. And because both Moses and the people are going to get really frustrated in the, in the current situation. You know, it's taken way too much time. It's taken way too much energy from Moses. Uh, he, he tells Moses, hey, share the burden with others. Share the burden of leadership with others. Delegate. You know, he tells him to look for capable leaders. And it's interesting to note the qualification list that he gives here. You know, uh, Kevin DeYoung commented that these the four things that he's looking for, he tells Moses to look for their relationship to the task. Are they capable? Are they able? Can they do it? Their relationship to God, do they fear him? Their relationship to others, are they trustworthy? And their relationship to money, do they hate a bribe? That's interesting. You know, they're, they're, can they do it? Their relationship to the task, to God, to others, and to money. And you think about that list, that's a that's a pretty decent foundation to start with, you know, for any leadership position and add on from there. Now, just one other thing I want to call attention to in this section before we move on. Um, you know, even though Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, he has he taken a risk here. You know, it's a, it's a risky thing for him to stick his neck out like this. And that's, I mean, Jethro, he's, again, he's the priest of Midian. Now, he's an outsider. You know, he's, uh, he's not an Israelite. And, and Moses... He's the undisputed leader of this now free nation of well over a million people. 
He's a pretty powerful guy. And again, Moses argued with God just a few chapters before. He, he doesn't always, you know, uh, take instruction or feedback the best. So this is, this is a bit of a, a risk that, that Jethro is taking. And still, he risks offense. He risks offending Moses for Moses' good and for the good of the people. And so that makes me think about us. You know, in, in our relationships, you know, starting out in concentric circles from family to friends to neighbors to coworkers and on, how often are we willing to, to take a risk and offer some constructive advice, some feedback to someone that might benefit from it? You know, even if you're very different people, you know, Jethro and Moses, they're very different people. They had very different backgrounds. They had very different jobs. They're very different people. And even if your life does not necessarily look like on the surface, maybe you relate very much. I mean, even if that person seems like they won't listen to you. I mean, it can be easy to fall into the trap of believing that, that people are not going to change or that you know, God's not going to change their heart. But I mean, that's, that's cynicism. That's doubt. That's not how we do it, right? I mean, Jesus asks us to speak the truth in love, to believe all things, to hope all things. So we can speak with hard edges to our truth when our words are wrapped in care and concern for one another in the context of a relationship. So with that, we're going to move on to our concluding point this morning. So this is point three. We're going to see how Moses happily receives feedback in humility. So happily receiving feedback in humility. So early on in my marriage to Brooke, I can uh, remember many times when my own father-in-law would, uh, you know, give me advice. And you know, I love my father-in-law dearly. I mean, he's a, he's a great man. I'm very thankful for him. Uh, I'm thankful for his wisdom, for his care and concern for our family, um, so many things. But despite that, I can recall frustration and uh, annoyance uh, during some of these advisory sessions. Um, you know, younger Kevin really struggled with pride. And, you know, it's something that I still fight. And I can remember this particular time. We were on vacation together as a family. And... Uh, it, we were in Florida, and it was near the ocean, and it was this beautiful morning, right? And the ocean was lapping on the beach, and, and I was out on the balcony, and I had my cup of coffee, and I had my Bible, and all was well with the world, except that it wasn't. Because this was actually our, it was actually our last day of the vacation, and we had to be out of the room by like 11 o'clock, and it was like 10.20, and it was my job to uh, pack all the luggage and make sure that we were, you know, kind of all out of the room and good to go while the other, the other adults were, um, you know, manning the children. And, you know, so I'm out there on the balcony and my, my father-in-law, he comes out and he comes up from, you know, the pool with the kids or whatever and he, he pops his head out. And um, he advised me. He said, uh, what you're doing is not good. Pack first, and then relax. Amazing, sagely wisdom here. And I, I'm sorry to say that I did not receive it very well. 
I was really enjoying my coffee and my ocean. And so I got up and I walked into the room and I started sarcastically tossing bags into a pile as I side-eyed him. Um, you know, this, it wasn't my best moment. It really wasn't. I mean, uh, it made the rest of the vacation quite awkward. The trip home was, you know, uh, it wasn't great. And I regretted it, you know, immediately. I, I, you know, later I went to Ray and I apologized and I asked for his forgiveness. And I, um, you know, he, he graciously allowed me to bring all 13 bags to the car. <laughs> and, you know, the point is that receiving feedback in humility is, is not always the easiest thing to do. Uh, and so it's pretty amazing what we see in, in verse 24 here. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. He listened humbly to his suggestions, and he acts on them immediately. And rather than getting defensive, rather than pushing back, rather than trying to explain more, he was persuadable, and he was open to reason. You know, and one of the marks of our growth as a Christian is humility. And we've got, we've got a really great example here. You know, we see Moses growing in his relationship with God as he sees more and more of his glory over these last several chapters in Exodus. And, you know, with each passing event, Moses is able to see more of God's power and more of his grace and his mercy that he has for the people. And this has a remarkable effect on Moses. Again, this is the guy that was arguing with God and now he's taking advice from a Midianite. So, I mean, it can be so easy for us to think that, that we know best. You know, especially if you've been doing something a certain way for a long time uh, and you have reasons for it, it can be pretty easy for decisions to solidify into positions, right? It's somewhere to stay. This is where I'm at and I'm not moving. You know, they say that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But the gospel shows us that we were so bad that God himself had to come into the world as a human to die to redeem us, right? We were so lost, like we had no idea what we were doing. We were so lost, we never could have found our own way, right? And yet... We are more loved in Christ than we could ever imagine. And so we can be honest. We can be honest about our shortcomings and our flaws, and we don't always have to be right. In Colossians, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's how we get glory being hidden in Christ, not by being right all the time. So our identity being hidden with Christ, it means our old life is dead. And that, along with it, the white-knuckled convictions that perhaps were soaked in pride. In this new life, we follow Jesus. And Jesus says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your soul. So Jesus, the high king of the universe, is gentle and lowly in heart. He's humble. And so as we learn from him, 
we can set aside our addiction to being right. And we can find rest in him being right on our behalf. So as we close this morning, just think about the amazing wisdom of what Jethro tells Moses. I mean, this new nation could not have survived with a single leader, a single judge. It was far too heavy for just one man. Shared leadership, bearing the burden together was the only way. In his closing point to Moses, Jethro, he says this, every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they'll decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. And that reminds me of Cities Church. Because first of all, our great shepherd, Jesus, is the head of the church. He's the great judge. And then we have a team of pastors and elders who are sharing the burden of leadership. But we couldn't do it without our deacons, without our community group leaders, without our ministry coordinators, without our life group point people. We are immensely thankful for this structure because we believe that like Jethro says in it, God is directing us. We are better able to endure and it is resulting in greater peace for our people. And so that brings us to the table where we who were outsiders are welcomed in by our great high priest and judge, Jesus, to humbly share in a communion meal. We remember how Jesus, he took on the task that was too heavy for everyone else. From Adam to Moses to David, none of them could pick it up. But Jesus, he conquered, and his paradoxical conquering came as he laid his life down. He allowed himself to be crushed under the heavy weight of our sin. And now we partake. We partake of his sacrifice together at this table in order to be strengthened for the road ahead so that we can do the hard things for the good of our relationships. So let's pray. So Father, yes, that is what we want this morning. We need you to direct us. That in compassion, we would share the whole story of the great news of your rescue with those around us. And we ask for endurance for this task. That by the Holy Spirit, you would grant us in greater and greater measure to go to the place that you have prepared for us in peace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as the pastors come, this is a meal mainly for the members of City's Church. But if you have been welcomed in by Jesus, if you would say that I am a member of his family, that Jesus is my Lord, Savior, and treasure, then we would invite you to eat and drink with us. The pastors are going to distribute the bread first. We're going to retain it, and then we'll eat together. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.